Well, folks, uh, oh, hey, hey, look at this. <laughs> My lucky day. No, your lucky day. Look who is on the Dude Maker Hotline. I don't even need to introduce this guy, but I will. Author of Meltdown, author of Nullification. Got a brand new book out about the COVID, the Corona Doom conspiracy. Runs his own very successful website. Gave me a car. <laughs> well, I won a car from him, fair and square, in a membership poker game in 2016. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about the one and only Thomas E. Woods, Tom Woods. Been far too long, my friend. How are you? Mike, I'm doing well. You know what's funny is, remember the old days, the tradition was if I released a book, I premiered it on the Mike Church Show, right? My first interview was always the Mike Church Show. And then I went nine years, almost 10, not writing a book so that when my new one came out, it's called Diary of a Psychosis about the COVID years. I actually forgot. I forgot. Wait a minute. And then I realized, oh, doggone it. I was supposed to talk to Mike Church. So maybe we'll work that out at some point, just for the sake, just for old time's sake. Well, for old time's sake, I'm looking at your at your book, which we actually used as a prize in a contest last year. We bought a dozen of them from somewhere. National Divorce. And it looks like we're about ready to go through one. Oh, jeez, for heaven's sake. Well, I will say, first of all, uh, in terms of my, my book on that, I bought the domain nationaldivorce.com, which could very easily have fallen into the hands of the enemy. But you will be able to rest easy at night knowing that that domain is in the hands of old Tom Woods here, safe and sound. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? We, we, we talk about it, and then it, we talked about it a little bit when Trump won because the, some of the blue states were kind of sour grapes about that, and so they, they, they realized that the people they thought were going to die off were not dying off quite as fast as they thought, and the, the inevitable progressive victory was not coming as fast as they thought, so they briefly entertained it. And now I think more and more people are saying it's pretty obvious that the various institutions of American society are arrayed in some kind of war on us. So if that's how you feel, how about we just get on out of here? So that's, uh, and you know, and of course now we, we're also hearing talk about it because any time there's any kind of standoff between the states and the federal government, whether it was over COVID or right now at the border, it inevitably brings up American history. People talk about slavery, and they talk about states' rights as being a, a wicked idea that, that only slaveholders would support. And we have this argument, this debate uh, over and over again. I'm happy to keep having it, because we are absolutely 100% in the right, and I have absolutely no fear of contradiction on that. You know, I um, when Texas decided to make its move, when the Governor Abbott finally decided, okay, enough is enough, um, uh, to 12 days ago or so or whatever, um, I started thinking, and I've been talking to the radio audience about nullification. So I went and I said, you know what? You know who wrote a book about nullification? My old buddy Tom Woods. So I went on, I, 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 I did a search, um, and the number one search result for nullification was everything you need to know about nullification in three minutes or less. And it was your video. Now, this is funny. You're going you're gonna to remember this. In 2012, you and I, you would, to more of them than I did, you and I were with the 10th Amendment Center, and we yeah. were going to these events. Do you remember these called Nullify Now? Nullify now. Those were the days. Those were the days. I mean, <laughs> you and I were at a Nullify now in Raleigh, North Carolina, 
And um, I got to introduce you, but I also got to introduce and I got to meet her, Publius Hulda. Do you remember this? I do. I don't know whatever became of her. I, I don't know, but you know, when I still want to talk about natural born citizen or whatever, I go find Publius Hulda. But this is the funny thing. <laughs> so, so I'm watching this video. If you're going like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know that backdrop. And so the picture that I use for the podcast that I made of you talking about nullification and then me talking about it was you standing up in front of that ginormous blow up of the Constitution that they had at that Nullify Now event. And I still, you know, I spoke on that stage too. Uh, they only gave me like 10 minutes. I think you were like one of the keynotes or, or whatever. Um, but then afterwards, you remember what you and I did? We went and we went and uh, had dinner. With our friend who was running for the United States Senate, Dr. Greg Bannon. Brandon. Oh, that's right. He's the one. He did, did he end up getting beat up, beaten up by Tom Tillis? He got beat by Tom Tillis. Sure did. Oh, who, who's turned out to be every bit as bad as we tried to warn people he would be. <laughs> when, I, when I saw that backdrop and I went, wait a minute, nullify now. We need to call, what was the guy's name at the 10th Amendment Center? Michael... Michael Bolden. We need to Michael call... Michael Bolden. Yeah, the famous singer, but not singer. <laughs> Bolden. We need to call Michael Bolden back. Hey, bro, you need to re you need to kickstart the Nullify Now conferences. I think people are ready for him. I think, I think his attitude was, they are time-consuming to put together and very expensive, and unfortunately only the true believers come out, which is, you know, like for... You know, and by the way, I'm not one of these people who sucks the life out of everything by saying, well, you can't enjoy the Super Bowl because, you know, only the, only the sheep do that. You should be reading about the Founding Fathers. I mean, I, I, I'm perfectly happy for people to have their hobbies and, and interests and all that. No problem. But I will say that I live right now not very far from Orlando, Florida, and there is a comic book convention in town uh, throughout the end of this week into the weekend. And it is so packed, they have seven parking lots that are already all sold out. And now, I have nothing against this. If, if people enjoy that, that's fine. But, you know, we'll be getting somewhere when the Nullify Now Tour sells out seven parking lots. <laughs> you know, if it were nearby, I probably would go to it. <laughs> if it were in New Orleans, I would probably take my, my son and we'd probably go hang out there for a day. Uh, let's say uh, seven parking lots, seven. Well, and by the way, by the way, one of my good friends is going to be, is going to have a booth there. And this is in parentheses, an interesting story. And that's this guy, Eric July. So Eric July is a successful musician, podcaster. He's over at the blaze. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a content creator. He's, uh, he's got a, a YouTube channel on, on, on video games, but he also knows all the stuff you and I know inside and out. And he is anti-woke, and he's black, so they really don't like him for being anti-woke. He's supposed to be woke. And his, he's been very, very unhappy with the comic book world, because number one, all the wokeness. But number two, not just the wokeness. It's also he thinks they're getting lazy. Like if, if there is a particular storyline that, that you now feel as, as a, an author of one of these comic books has painted you into a corner, you can't invent a time machine and, you know, or suddenly claim that there's been some rupture in the space-time continuum and we're going to go back and redo it. Like, he thinks there's been a lot of laziness um, that, that's, been, that's been unfaithful to the canon. And he doesn't want to do that in his comic book universe. So he created his own comic book company. And in effect, 
people said to him, oh, you don't like Marvel and DC? Why don't you go create your own comic book company? Oh, <laughs> well, doggone it, that's what the SOB went and did. He created Ripaverse, and he had a $100,000 goal in, in the first month that he wanted to reach in terms of revenue, and he ended up uh, hitting over $3 million. Wow. And now he's almost full-time comic book guy now uh, with, with Ripaverse, and he basically showed them that, a, that one guy with no like, billion-dollar endowment, one guy with no funding, just an idea, just a following of people who liked him, could take on the behemoths and take his place. And now he's got top-notch artists drawing for him. So, so that, I, I couldn't support him more. I'm thrilled and excited because, again, if we're going to be successful, it's not going to be just that we got everybody to read some treatise from the 19th century about the nature of the federal union. It also has to be we have to win culturally. And he's helping to do that. Yes, we got everyone to read uh, Edgar Payson and on the subject of nullification. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want them to read Abel Upshur, you know, and this is just a, it's a losing battle, <laughs> Mike. It's a losing battle. Uh, on the phone with uh, the great Tom Woods of TomWoods.com and the Tom Woods Show and too many books to mention, but the latest one is Diary of a Psychosis. I remember the joke that you cracked one time at one of the events that we spoke at, and you got up and you were talking about Murray Rothbard, and you said, and then Murray Rothbard launches into this thing about uh, this obscure convention of 1811 and the, and the third day and of course everyone knows about the second day of the obscure 1811 convention <laughs> <laughs> Federalist Convention or whatever <laughs> but Murray Rothbard certainly wanted everyone to know about it you remember this? I, I do indeed what I loved about that was that here was a guy who he, he was an economist of a very very accomplished one extremely important in the history of the so called Austrian school of economics and yet somehow in his spare time, he managed to become enough of an expert in American history that a lot of the experts in American history wouldn't even know half his references. He, he, he was a, you know, in a way, I'll make a bit of a confession here, Mike, he was a, an inspiration to me as a young man because he showed through how prolific he was what was possible, that somebody could master various disciplines. He could write so many books and articles. He could give so many speeches. But the thing was, Rothbard had no children. And so for me to model myself after him was really not appropriate. And so I, I, it took me a little while to realize, you know, I have nothing more to prove to people. I've written all these books. I've done all these things. But to me, the most valuable, I mean, truly, truly, I say this not to be just sappy, but the most truly valuable thing I've done actually is just be a dad, uh, honestly. And I don't have anything left to prove to, to the world or to, or to the kids. Being a dad is a good thing. And I, oh, and I, yeah, and I saw on your I saw on your website that you uh, you you took a couple of the daughters to uh, to England. Uh, yeah, I did, yeah I, I posted about that. And yeah, so I've got five daughters, and they're not all equally into travel. It breaks my heart. But <laughs> a couple of times a year, doggone it, they're going where the family's going. And then once they get there, they say, "Yeah, what what, what was wrong with us? We love being here, <laughs> you know." But but the, but it, and it and it I, they go through phases. Like this one wants to go, that one wants to go. I just like being on the road because I spent so many years as a workaholic, cranking out books on all this stuff, trying my best to fight the fight. And now I'm fighting it in, in different ways, you know, with the show, and I have various other things I'm doing. But boy, have I enjoyed. Actually, instead of just traveling around to conferences and seeing the inside of hotel ballrooms, going out and seeing the great United States, which really, truly is a great, wonderful place, uh, and bit by bit the rest of the world, and the greatest companions of all are these young people 
who came into my life uh, not too terribly long ago, who have the, just the thrill, just the, the, the innocence of youth, seeing things for the first time and the excitement and energy, that keeps me going as a man of, you know, 50-something, let's say. It's an, uh, it's an incredible thing when you, when, you, when you think about it that, okay, wh- why are you fighting so hard for, for people to read Is Davis a Traitor? Why are you fighting so hard for secession? Why do we want actually truly limited federal government? Why do we want to listen to Don Livingston and rethink the American Union for the 21st century? You know, and I and I think that you and I probably have some mutual acquaintances, and maybe even have read about a Roman Catholic saint or two that would say that you know these things are all done, but but the only way that they're ever done and they're done well is when they're done out of love. Uh, Things that are done out of anger and and haste usually don't end very well. So, you know, my approach lately has been, you know, guys, you can't just say everything is broken and I'm taking my ball and I'm going home and I quit. You know, I got this thing lately. Okay, are you a voter? Are you a smoter? Or are you a motor? So it's M O A T E R. So the motor's given up. He's withdrawn. He quit. The church has turned out. He can't believe what's happening with, with, with Catholics. He can't believe what's happening with the rest of Christianity. He can't believe what's happening with his federal government, his state government. His mayor won't listen to him. He's got all these things wrong. He's just done. He decided he bought himself a piece of property. He put a giant hill in the middle of it. It's a 200 feet tall. He figured out how to get water to the top of it and carved it kind of like Monticello, right? And then he dug a, a a 100 foot, if you've ever been to Angers, France, you've seen the moat that's around the, the castle there. He dug a moat 100 feet deep, 100 feet wide, and it goes around the entire property. That guy's a motor. The smoter dude is like, I just want to just get rid of all of them. I want God to send a sweet meteor of death and smite everybody. That's the smoter. Then there is every man, the 95 percenter. That guy's a voter, hoper, and a coper. <laughs> I think there's a lot more to be gotten out of of working with and for the voter uh, than there is the motor or the smoter. Uh, Am I right? Uh, Probably so. The way I think of it is, I'm not sure that there is a majority of the public that's that's ever going to see the world the way I do. And so as I get older and I realize that, I've come to the conclusion that I have to get what I can get and be happy with it and and realize that I'm not going to get everybody sharing my entire worldview, but I can at least try to carve out some kind of livable existence. And I feel like even though I may not be in the majority, I do feel like people who agree with me are more numerous than we think. They're just badly organized right. because they're, they're not the organizing type. These aren't the sort of people who form secret societies or anything like that. These are normal people who don't do that, who don't conspire against society. These are the people who because they're good and decent and naive, they're the ones who get conspired against. And I feel like there is, there's a lot we can do, even under a hostile regime, uh, to, to create livable, uh, prosperous lives. So I, as a matter of fact, since the last time we talked, two years ago, I launched something rather immodestly called the Tom Woods School of Life. And I decided to do this because I felt like everything else I've done, which I do not disparage, has been educational. And, and education is very important. That's how you convince people of things. But I can't tell you, Mike, over the years, how many times I had people come up to me and they'd hear a lecture I'd given and they'd say, 
listen, I've heard all your talks, I've read all your books, I have the information, but I, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Right. Just be philosophically satisfied that I have the information. I mean, what do you want me to do? And I, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I didn't know what to say. I, I don't know, something. I don't know, we'll figure that out <laughs> later. But, so, so now this is the later. The later is here. And so the, the tagline of my School of Life program is, we're becoming healthy, wealthy, and wise in a world that wants us sickly, poor, and stupid. <laughs> and the idea of it is we're not going to teach theory, we're not going to read Edmund Burke, nothing wrong with reading Edmund Burke, but well, this is about practical things like pe- crazy people are trying to colonize your children's minds with insane ideologies. How about we try to prevent that from happening? Uh, or... It's especially during COVID. It's become hard to find a place where you can live uh, that's not full of psychotic people. Right. Let's see if we can find you know the be- what are the best places for normal people to live, or how can I find a job that isn't going to make sudden unreasonable demands of me? Or if I wanted to start my own business, I don't know how to do that, but it sure would be nice to to know people who share my way of looking at the world who could help me do things like that. So it's all entirely practical things like. What do you do with your money when the regime is stripping it of its value? These are all practical, day-to-day things that you can do to make your, your life better, uh, your kids' lives better, more prosperous, happier, less full of anxiety. I came to the conclusion that that's really where I'm, I want to focus most of my energy as I enter into what, let's face it, is the second half of my life. I would rather that my tombstone not simply say, he recorded 7,000 podcast episodes, but, but rather say, but then he also did this. You know, like, I, I have helped people start businesses and, and get out, get out of the, away from the man. I have helped people who absolutely were convinced there was no way they could homeschool their kids. I've helped them to start doing that. And on and on down the line. I'd, I'd much, much rather feel like I'm, I'm doing that um, because I, I, I don't know what else I can do, really, but I, I think... I've brought together in this school of life a very impressive community of smart, talented, ambitious people, and everybody in this community has a piece of somebody else's puzzle. And, and, and that, rather than just complaining about the state of the world, makes me feel more productive. Well, you know, that's, a, a, that, that, that's fascinating because in the last couple of years, especially since COVID, one of the things that we started doing here on the Mike Church Show, and this just came up out of nowhere, There's literally a a phone call started. You're probably one of the few people that would believe this. A a phone call during COVID, during the, as I call it, the Corona doom, or if I don't want to be censored on YouTube, I call it the Corona doom. If I don't care, I call it the Corona hoax. Um, (laughs) Because YouTube will take your video down. They'll find it, then they'll come after you, and then when they're done with you, they'll go after your grandparents. Um, A phone call came through. And uh, it was a woman who turned out to be a, a, a very dear friend of mine. As a matter of fact, she works with us now. And uh, she was tired of being told that she couldn't do this, couldn't do that, couldn't go here, couldn't go there. And she goes, you know what she decided to do? She said, I'm going to grow my own food. And a conversation started about, well, you know, we kind of go to a church household. We kind of grow our own herbs and stuff around here. And then I said something about how uh, you might go about doing it. And then another caller called and goes, no, 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 you don't want to do that. What you want to do is, you know, we don't want monoculture, what they call it. You'd be amazed. There is a libertarian streak. No, you wouldn't be amazed. You know this. There is a libertarian back to the earth movement that, that is running very hard and fast and deep in this country. And they're suspicious about the poison that's in the food. And I always tell them, look, 
own the means. This is very Tom Woodsian, but I think you'd be proud of me. I, I should give you a commission on this. Own the means of production. Now, if you can't figure out how to do all of it on your own, start small. Find something that you love to do and you're happy doing and that someone will pay you to do or you can sell somewhere and do that. Because that really, to me, so I'm completely with you. Owning the means of production and talking about uh, farming. Can you? How much of your own food can you grow? Hey, look, it's not for everyone. Some people's answer is going to be zero. Is going to be you know <laughs> Dean Wormer from Animal House. <laughs> you're going to get the, well, how much of my food can I grow this much? Zero point zero. I can't grow any. <laughs> but I know <laughs> this guy down the street that can do it. And But I can make a heck of a rocking chair. So I think that what has happened, I think this whole thing backfired on the powers that be. And they actually inspired a lot of people to take turns in their lives that they would not have taken had the corona doom ever happened. You agree? I do. I do. And I think the other, I mean, I hate to, I hate to look for silver linings in something that was so terrible. But I have to. I have to find some. And by the way, one good thing. I met a lot of really interesting people I wouldn't have met otherwise. Mm. Same like with the Ron Paul days. We, you know, you and I met interesting people that hadn't been for that Nullify Now tour. We would never have met. And so, th so that's one thing. But another thing is this thing opened a lot of people's eyes. I mean, people are way more skeptical now of the official version of everything, uh, not just on, on this health stuff. But now I actually think that there is a direct connection between increased skepticism of the climate agenda and COVID. Because I think what happened was they, they looked around, they realized all the elites were obsessed with, with this COVID narrative. And what else are these elites obsessed with that is also against everything good and decent and seems to be trying to destroy our lives? They're all in favor of this crazy climate thing that, that seems to be the same, fit the same pattern where the so-called experts are hectoring you and calling you a bad person if you disagree, and they censor all the competing voices, and it always involves pain and rationing and restrictions. I, I think people have thought, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. wait. A minute. Maybe the people who are in charge in one way or another do not have my interests at heart. And so I think it opened eyes in that way. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. On the phone with Tom Woods here, whose latest book is A Diary of a Psychosis, How Public Health Disgraced Itself During the COVID Mania. You can get it at TomWoods.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to move on because I, I did write a couple of questions because I hadn't talked to you in a while. And I said, I'm going to ask Tom about this. Did you ever think... When you and I and Goodsman were in McClanahan and the rest of us were in our heyday, and we were given Obama hell, right? <laughs> we were, you know, we we were the darling, we were kind of the outsider darlings of, of, of the Tea Party with Rand Paul. Did you ever think that a state would actually defy the federales in the grandiose and gorgeous manner that Texas apparently has in telling the Biden regime, that's it? You're done. It's our border. Get out. Don't send your guys down here. We're not going to let them in. We're putting the razor wire up. We're going to defy you, and we don't care what you, what you, what you say or what you do about it. Because Abbott hasn't blinked. Did you ever think really that this would happen? And now that it has, is it? Would you have some advice for Greg Abbott and Texans? Oh, okay. Well, that's a that's a juicy one. 
Well, first, uh, no, I wouldn't have expected that. And, and, and yet, I think, I think what's happened, Mike, is that, I mean, I think you and I probably interacted more back around 2012 uh, during that whole nullify thing and the Ron Paul days and, and, and so on. And so it's been a long time since we've had uh, consistent contact. And I think it's been a very, very eventful 12 years. I think the quality of the right wing in America, which has always been pretty poor, uh, they've always been the losers who just roll over and, and take it from the left. I think it has improved. I think there are... Uh, now, Greg Abbott, we all know his problems, so I'm not necessarily including him in this. But the fact that he thinks it's politically advantageous for him to act this way reflects something. It reflects that there has been a change, that I think there are people who have realized, maybe because of of, of the whole Trump story and what's happened with him, that the establishment is against them in both parties, is, is against them. And if you stand up to that establishment, they're going to try to destroy you. So no longer am I going to worry if the New York Times calls me a this or a that or accuses me of this ism or that ism. Uh, I'm just going to defend myself for, from now on. And if I see something happening like what's going on at the border and there's a governor who's actually going to take action to try to stop it, even if that means defying the federal government. Well, I don't care that the New York Times is going to lecture me that that's not allowed, and uh, the Supreme Court has said blah, blah, blah. I'm just not listening. I'm not listening. I don't care that I'm not respectable in their circles. Don't want to be. Don't want to be. And, you know, whereas a Republican Party whose tone uh, was inspired by a Mitt Romney, there's just no way it would have done this. No way. That's right. I haven't checked in with Mitt Romney. I'm sure he's against Abbott on this. Um, and, and you know what, and again, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to this, but I was obsessed with this for three years, Mike. It equally surprised me, I'll just say in parentheses, it equally surprised me how many right-wing influencers stood up to Fauci and the public health establishment. I would have thought, again, under a Romney administration, uh, I would have expected everybody to, to say, well, you know, these are the authorities and, and we don't want to be cranks and we have to listen to the experts. I thought it was going to be you, me, and five other people <laughs> speaking out against this. I was shocked at how many big, big names out there didn't go for it. Or maybe they did at the beginning, and then they realized, wait a minute, what have, what have I agreed to? I, I was wrong about this. So that combined with this Abbott thing is, is quite surprising. Now, in terms of what my advice would be, in a way, I mean, look, I, I guess in a way they're playing chicken, aren't they? I mean, yep. who's going who's gonna to back down first? Well, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if this is if I'm allowed to say this or not, <laughs> but I would say, say, it, say don't, it. don't be the one who backs down. Make history. Don't be the one who backs down. You're not doing anything wrong. How could you possibly be doing anything wrong? And I tell you, the one of the uh, OK, as I look at this, um, uh, I got most of my knowledge from reading books written by you and uh, Dr. Gutzman, and then you know the old throwback books that you 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 mentioned. The good old reliable Abel Upshur. <laughs> Everyone should have a copy of Abel Upshur on the show. Actually, it's not hard to read. Uh, Edgar Payson and nullification and all that. When I started talking about this two years ago, when all this began to explode, I went, you know what? I have a little experience and I have a little knowledge that I can share with people here that other people don't have. And I and I said, look, Congress is they make it out to be like Congress is powerless here. Congress is not powerless. Congress is powerful. Congress can go right now today, and this goes all the way back to 
James Madison, 1799-1800, I said, if Congress really wanted to take care of this and really wanted to, if, if they really said we are going to get rid of, we are going to actually actively tr try and rid this continent of the influence of these men who run these things car called cartels in Mexico, declare war on them. Simple as that. Bring Ron Paul back into Congress, write a declaration or a letter of mark and reprisal, put prices on their heads, and send a special ops, Blackwater, whoever down there to go take them out. There's a way to do this actually legally, and Congress has a role. That's one thing. Second thing, you don't have to you don't have to impeach Biden because he's crooked and dirty and took all this money, especially with what's going to be going on today. He is completely in dereliction of duty now. Do you know I had Kevin Gutzman on, your old friend, last week, and I asked him about this thing on the border with Texas and Abbott and all that. You know what his response to me was? When's the last time you know Gutzman better than, than than almost anyone? When's the last time a political question was asked of Gutzman and he said, "Mike." I can't give you an answer. Ever? Wow. Never. And you know why? He said because it occurs to me, Mike, that the men that wrote the Constitution of that generation never considered that it was a possibility that an American president would make basically make war on one of the on, 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 on the other states in a manner in which Biden is doing it. So he so said, I don't have an answer. He goes, I don't know if impeachment covers it. Uh, I, I don't know if treason covers it. He goes, because I don't think they ever considered that someone was actually capable of becoming president and doing this. We are in uncharted waters when that's the, uh, the answer that that learned man gives you, my friend. Yes, we are. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't know... I honestly don't know what the next move is because I don't think I mean Biden it's true is up against you know you know a um a guy namely Donald Trump who has a lot of negatives. Yes. But he himself has plenty of negatives. And and yes his his extreme base would would just love it if there was some kind of conflict with Texas. But normal people really don't want that because that's exactly the kind of thing they were told would happen under Trump. And, and Biden was supposed to be the grown-up who's going to bring stability and calmness back to government. If he's flirting with World War III and waging war on an American state, how is that the resumption of normality? It, it, you know, it contradicts his message. And this isn't a no, – no, uh, 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 I told you 30 minutes, so I'm going to try to hold this because we'll leave the audience wanting more, and I'll blackmail you to come back sooner than, rather than later. I heard, though, a little tinge there. <laughs> Mike Church, Kevin Goodsman, Ron Paul versus Mike Levin, you big dope, and Jeffrey Lord. Over some I of this. I need to bring that stuff back, Mike. <laughs> I need to dig that out of the archive. <laughs> it was so good. Over the question of, 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 of Levin and Lord insisting that Jefferson uh, would have been a neocon warmongering war hawk. And I was saying, like, well, no. Specifically, they were defending Obama, who had sent troops to Libya without congressional approval. And so. So they were they were claiming, well, we're not defending Obama per se. We're defending the right of, the, but the way I kept framing it as they're defending Obama, and that drove them nuts <laughs> because they they didn't want 
to look like that in front of their supporters. <laughs> I kept saying, well, you know, we got Mark Levin over here defending Obama, but I think we constitutionalists need to be critical of Obama. And, of course, this is making heads explode, <laughs> you know, when I would do this. But, yeah, they, they were arguing that, oh, look, they were, they were making propaganda arguments that, that oh, uh, hundreds of times in the past, presidents have sent men into battle without getting congressional approval. And I, I went through and smashed that. And, and Levin and I were going back and forth, back and forth. But the thing is, I would I would quote him and then respond to him. Yep. He would not quote a word I said. Nope. I, I mean, I, I think you can figure out why. Well, uh, at the end of the day, um, Levin was completely and in, in, in totally uh, d- uh, defeated on the intellectual and the historical argument. He didn't have a response to it other than call people big dopes and say we were backbenchers. You know, that was the response. Oh, and then to steal Gutzman and mine idea for liberty amendments, write a book and buy a new Maserati off the proceeds. Oh, it, that was insane. Yeah, he, he obviously did take your ideas. And and no acknowledgement whatsoever. Nope. And, and nobody's saying that you have to be infallible and that you can never make a mistake. I have made mistakes and owned up to them. Sure. And and that's that's part of what it is to be a human being. But to not only not own up to them, but but to then change your mind and then, and then <laughs> cash in on it. It's just it's unbelievable. The the gall of these people. The gall. Well, um, uh, Tom Woods, TomWoods.com. Now, now, seriously, what podcast number episode are you up to? I am, um, as of the end of this week, going to be up to 2,447. My goodness. <laughs> and I've dropped it down to just three a week, because five a week, I don't know. It's just because I, I don't do just current events, because current events would give me plenty for five a week. But I, I, I come up with different topics each day, and, and I... As, you know, it was getting to be like I couldn't do a quality episode digging deep into each thing. So now I do three somewhat longer ones instead of five short ones. But but yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's, but I mean, but Mike shares a lot of episodes of the Mike Church Show too. Uh, well, there. Well, <laughs> on the Crusade Channel alone, we're at twenty. Oh gosh, uh, twenty one hundred or so. Um, uh, I started in twenty fifteen. But folks, just uh, if you go to Tom Woods. Dot com. I mean, some of the people that you've interviewed recently. Uh, I love the Rob Schneider story. Uh, you know, Schneider was one of those guys that was sitting in his bungalow in Hollywood going like, this is complete and total, during COVID, going, this is complete and total BS. People stand up and tell these people no. And you go like, Rob Schneider, American gigolo? Yep, that Rob Schneider. Vince Vaughn, another one. You know, I have a, 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 a kind of an, an appreciation for Vince Vaughn as an actor. He's very well-ranged. As a matter of fact, he's in a, in, in a, in a recent movie on no, of course, I'm going to get tongue twisted. Don't remember which one it was. Where I know what it was. He played the military sergeant, and and and, we're going to, and I didn't even figure out like two thirds. If you ever talk to him, you know, tell him, tell him he has a fan. I didn't even figure out that it was Vince Vaughn until like two thirds of the way through the movie. And I went, wait a minute, that's Vince Vaughn. You've had both of those guys on your show. I have, uh, and it was Vince Vaughn contacted me because um, he he had read the politically incorrect guide to American history and I mean I I don't want to like give away the whole the whole call but he had a, a legit reason to call and while I had him on the phone I thought look look woods you need a little bit more boldness in your approach here you got Vince Vaughn on the line ask him to be on the Tom Woods show <laughs> so I I did that and it happened but but let's go back just for a second to Rob Schneider which um if you don't remember him from his movies you would certainly remember him from Saturday night live right and uh, what's interesting is 
just the other day on Twitter, I had a lengthy thread about the, the, the first tweet of which said something along the lines of, Texas is in the right constitutionally, in case that still matters to anybody. And I had the little thread symbol, and then I went and I made the argument. And, and Rob Schneider retweeted that. So it isn't just that he likes me on COVID, which he's, he was very solid on. I mean, that was me making the case for state nullification, and he retweeted that to all his followers. And uh, just because uh, somebody's going to say, why didn't you bring him? Yes. And he's a recent convert to Catholicism. I don't know if oh, you knew he, that. I, I Not only did I, but when I, I actually saw his act, uh, when he was, uh, we visit Las Vegas a lot because my wife, believe it or not, my wife was born and raised there. So we, we go there for family and also for, you know, the occasional show. <laughs> and so we went to see Rob Schneider and... I've gotten to the point where I can tell him, hey, I'm going to be at the show, and maybe I can say hello afterward. And so when he came out, I, I gave him an autographed copy of my book, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. Ah. And I, the way I signed it was, to Rob, may the Tom Woods show bump continue to propel your career to ever greater heights. <laughs> All the best. <laughs> we'll we're, we're, we're pretend like we're at a stand-up club in Vegas. And <laughs> you <got it. laughs> Thank you. Hey, Tom, let's do this again soon. I, I want to keep it fresh and, and, and uh, keep it, uh, some brevity to it. Um, uh, I can't believe, you know, as close as you and I were once, that uh, I allowed this, this 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 Pacific Ocean to come between us. But I'm glad to have uh, made it. I was just sitting around, and I was going like, nullification. I got to contact Woods. My goodness. <laughs> Since he gave me a car, I haven't seen the man. <laughs> well, let me ask you one thing. Are you still, you still, am I, I don't know why am I doing this on the air, Mike, but it doesn't matter. Everybody knows we're all friends here. You still live in Louisiana? I do. Okay, let me talk to you a little bit after uh, we're, we're off the air. All right. Uh, Tom, thank you so much. Everybody, go to Tom's site. Uh, pick that new book up of a Psychosis of COVID. Go to TomWoods.com. That's TomWoods.com. Come. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. God bless you. Thanks, man.